Episode 298, The Rant. Mark Riley, former tailback for the Terps of Maryland at College Park, finding his calling as a coach with Premier Basketball. From Monday to Monday, chances are, if you're in Susa, you've seen Coach Riley coming in and most likely heading out. In this pod, we discuss the state of coaching during the pause of a pandemic, his come up playing sports, his time playing football, to his ever affinity love, the game of basketball. All that and more, my conversation with Mark, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Geo Studios, now open. They are located one block south of Westbury Train Station in the heart of Long Island, New York. Looking to bring your art or event to life? Trying to record a podcast? Enjoy six rooms of studio space to create audio and visual content. It also includes an 800-square-foot cyclorama wall studio, a state-of-the-art recording studio, three breakout rooms for four to six people each, which include a green room and lounges, a quality surround sound with six speakers and studio lighting, and most importantly, two on-site restrooms. You know I need my restrooms. Book your space today. For more information, find us at geoevents.com. The Rant has been brought to you by The Irrefutable Magazine. Co-editor in design Kevin Sparrick and co-editor at large Ralph Fernolis decided to combine both of their talents in writing and illustrations to bring to you a new online experience from an official's perspective. They both ref, but it's deeper than officiating. They create art for all time. Do you think your brand would be a good fit for The Irrefutable Magazine audience? Want to advertise with us? Visit us at theirrefutable.com slash sponsors for more information. We are the irrefutable. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest, a man that I've seen over the years in different variations and incarnations in the game of basketball. First of all, I'll say AAU coach for Premier Basketball. Also did some things with Riverside. Also one of the, uh, used to be part of the Silver Bullets AAU team from back in the day. Um, also a basketball trainer that I always see, see for Premier Basketball, Mr. Mark Riley. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Was, was that an accurate? Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're pretty accurate. Pretty all, right, accurate. all right. I probably missed something, <laughs> but man, let me see. I, I met this man, i say about six years ago. Um, one of my friends, Brian Uber, used to own this place called FST. We went to high school together and he was like, yeah, come and train. So come in there. Um, met you. I remember we were dividing up teams, and I remember yeah. you were like, "Yeah, you can go coach." Yeah. After we did that, I was like, "Yeah, this 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 is not for me." But um, you know, to to circle all that back, um, I remember the Silver Bullets were very intricate in my high school at Kellenberg mm-hmm. when I was in in high school, and I met Jen Brad, um, Debbie Brejovich, who else? I met Leon was Leon, there and yeah. all them. So I met them. So I, I was surprised that they were connected. Yo, I didn't even see Leon for like twenty years, and he was like a ref. I was like, what happened here? Yeah, Leon. I don't even think he remembers me like back in the day. Yeah, Leon's been refing forever. Has he? Forever. Has he been coaching forever more? Yeah, I mean, I know when I that's how I met Leon. Obviously, you know, something 15, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and I met him through Debbie and the Silver Bullets, and. He was still reffing at that time, and, you know, he got me into this whole coaching AAU thing with the girls, and Leon and I have been real close ever since. Yeah, well, welcome to the show, man. Hey, I appreciate it. This is like episode, what, like 275, uh, 230? This will probably be like 570. Who knows, man? Uh, I got just, so many in the chamber. I thought I thought we would have been on, I would have been on like episode like three or four, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right, my son's talking crazy, but... Um, you know, man, first my man Mason over there. Always, man. always, <laughs> always interrupting. He and he's he's like elite at messing it up now because he just knows all of the the questions I'm going to ask. But um, so I kind of just fell into going into Susa. Um, the places that I know, the pockets I know, they they're just not open. And even in the summer, I think I got invited to go to Rucker Park. I've gotten invited to go all the way on the city, and I just I've said no literally a hundred times. Hold on a second, Mason, stop. I'm going to take away your computer. You want me to take away your computer? <laughs> so even even Next Level was open for a little bit, but I know Island Garden is just completely shut down because it's just too big. It's too yeah. big for its britches. So it's crazy right now over there. I think I think Sousa was special because it's more of a soccer facility, so you kind of slid in the back door. And I wouldn't say that all the rules are equal in the state. Yeah, um, Darren, uh, the the CEO of I guess Sousa uh, and the owner of the building here, he. 
he looked at all of the guidelines and all the restrictions and made sure that, you know, we were up to speed, so to speak, with that, so that we weren't in violation of anything, so that mm-hmm. we could continue to do a lot of the soccer stuff that's going on and then, as you know, the basketball stuff as well. Right. So I, I was I was kind of excited to see you, you know, doing some work because I, I do get the whole thing of, like, everyone's frustrated, people want to play, we don't even know if there's a season going on, and I just – just as a volleyball coach in general, I think about the seniors who were juniors for me. I haven't even seen them since like the championship game. And that's sad because you're only going to be in high school as a senior for this one time. time. And unfortunately it just so happens to coincide with this uh, coronavirus. So, you know, having said that, um, how are you holding up with this coronavirus? How's your family doing? When was the moment that you took all this really serious? Well, I mean, I think I took it serious from day one. But, uh, you know, I want to say, like, before the coronavirus actually was known as the coronavirus, there was an upper respiratory infection, severe, you know, that was going around. And I think my mom and my dad had that at the time. And that was back in, like, November, December, before, you know, everything, like, broke in January. So I want to say that I either was already contracted it, so to speak, and... I kind of, I guess I'm asymptomatic because, I mean, I haven't had any symptoms or anything. And I've and I've been in and around, you know, doing my precaution stuff, you know, my mask and washing my hands and stuff. But I've been, you know, been pretty safe for the most part. You know, my family's been okay for the most part. And I guess we're just following all the guidelines and trying to be as healthy as we can be. Right. And at that time, early mid-March, that's like go time for AAU to start basketball season in, in terms of school is, is really gearing up with the playoffs and all that. Where were you in relationship to basketball? Well, I think before before even the basketball piece, I think everybody went through a little bit of a depression. Right. Because it was, all right, uh, yeah, we were, we were playing basketball on Friday night, and then guess what? Everything shut down Saturday. And no, you can't go to the gym. Some people weren't even allowed to go outside. So, you know, it got kind of crazy with that. But I think I went through my little bit of a depression. And then I said, all right, how do I use this as a platform to get myself better? Um I was eating crazy, you know, McDonald's and Chipotle and Domino's. And so I said, all right, well, since we can't do anything in groups, I said, let me do something for myself. So, you know, I started working out more. I started eating a little bit better. Um, So that kind of got me through the depression of I can't do anything that I'm normally used to doing, Mm -hmm. but I can still do stuff. And on the basketball side of it, you know, I lost touch with with a handful of the girls, you know, just because, you know, people were just panicked. So everybody kind of went in their own direction and things like that. But, you know, as time went on throughout March and April, you know, I was in contact with the girls trying to get them to to do certain things on their own. Because I know when I was younger, mom and dad said, yo, get out the house, go do whatever you're going to go do. Now this was the same situation. Like there was no organized activity for me to do. So I had to stimulate my own mind and and think of stuff to do. You know, I had to go back into my seven and eight year old mind and have some fun outside by myself. But, um, you know, over over time, you know, like I said, I started working out more and I started just feeling better. You know, my, my energy was different. My attitude was different. My outlook on things was different. But at the same time, I still know that we were going through a crisis and I just wanted to make sure that I was still being as safe as I could be. Mm. Just out of curiosity, when was it, because I would say that there was a whole period of it being shut down and everyone, utterly, at least in New York, was just depressed. I remember just... People were fighting over toilet paper. Yo, all I was doing was (laughs) I was looking forward to going to the grocery for like that one hour, right? And everyone was wilding. And then... I would watch Cuomo at 11 and then whatever Donald Trump was saying at six o'clock. And that was literally my day for like two months. And then I want to say during like Memorial Day when everyone was like, you know what, F this. Uh, I think I think it was even before Memorial Day. I think I think like Independence Day was what July fourth. Yeah. I think the Memorial Day weekend was like the 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 Independence Day of this Corona thing because mm-hmm. people just said, you know what, I'm free. I don't care. The weather's nice. I'm gonna go out and do what I normally do on on a Memorial Day weekend and have a great time with my friends and family or whatever it is that we were doing. Not knowing that as crazy as it seems, and you wanted to do that. It was still probably one of the most dangerous things that you could have done at the time. But at that time, being cooped up in the house for three, four months and not knowing or having anything to do, I think people were willing just to say, you know, hey, forget it. I'm I'm, going to go have some fun. Right. I need a peace of mind. I also think we were in a unique situation that we were so safe for so long because we got ravaged so early that 
at the very least when we were going out, we were still trying to be as safe as possible. But when it came to Sousa and just getting connected back to your girls, when did that start happening? Uh, well, I know <clears throat> we were officially allowed to open up, I think, the first week in July. Um, we were allowed to, through the, through the guidelines, the CDC the guidelines and stuff, we were allowed to have, like, camps and clinics and, and small group workouts. Um, so little by little, you know, obviously through, through the technology that we have, you know, I was texting some of the girls saying, hey, you know what? Hey, where we're going to be going is starting to open up. Do two or three of you guys want to come work out as long as your parents say it's okay? So that two or three turned into six or seven. That six or seven turned into 11 and then so forth and so forth. And then after that, as things started, you know, you know, progressing, people just started coming out. And not to say that we weren't precautious. You know, people still had to, you know, get their hand sanitizer, wash their hands, and wear the mask into in and out of the facility and stuff. But I think the parents got a little tired of their kids, and they were almost like, get out of the house. You know, you need this outlet. You need this mental break. Because I think the other part of the mental break was just how school was going on as well, too. You know, that I think that's the biggest issue right now that they're still trying to figure out you know the virtual learning you know I got kids that that are playing for me that their parents they just say like my kid just can't get it you know and they're basically teaching themselves and it was just a, a different way of how they have to learn and I think that people will be able to adapt to it over time but you know now it's just you know just you know the the get 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 through it right now and then hopefully things can get back to normal over the next couple months. Who knows when that's going to happen, but you know, it's really good to see that you're at least connecting with it. I think about my season, we were supposed to start September 21st, but then they pushed it back. They said it was going to be in March and then we were going to do outdoor workouts, but every time we had to do that, it started raining. I don't even know if we're going to have a season. So I, I'm just very confused as to what's going to happen with the school season. Yeah. And we have a prediction, which we'll hold off on, but right. just this whole time, the whole coronavirus, you know, you just being doing you and then getting back and somehow managing to, to work with some of the girls. What do you think you learned about yourself during this whole time? Ooh, that, I didn't know you was going to ask me anything like that. What did I learn about myself? Uh, I learned that I have to be self-reliant or a little bit more, you know, depending on just me to get things that I know I'd have to get done on myself or by myself done the responsibility of being you know I'm not 26 27 years old anymore I'm 40 years old now so I have different set of responsibilities that I have to prioritize to make sure that those things get done before I do all of the things that I say that I want or I like to do and during that those those months of not being able to do what I wanted to do it let me focus on the things that needed to be done for myself individually and then even for like my family or even like my close friends so this is this is like a real treat to me because I had Jalen on the show and a couple of people have mentioned you and, you know, they were talking about that you have been instrumental in their development as a player. And I think about all those times that I've had interactions as a ref and also as a coach on, on the sidelines with you and just seeing you train, you know, day in and day out, watching you with the kids. You know, I think you have the perfect blend of not going too hard but going hard enough for them to feel bad about themselves that they want to be inspired to do something, right? And you do, and you keep it real, right? I mean, I, I tell kids all the time, the kids that are playing on my teams, I'm not for everybody. You know, I'm very demanding because I want perfection. And as I know, nobody's going to be perfect, but I'm going to hold you to a standard, and I'm not going to let you play below that, th below that standard. And some people, for the most part, rise to that some people can't get over that hump because they've always either been coddled and I don't come from the, the, the coddled generation I come from the if you ain't getting it done sit your ass on this bench <laughs> um so my my high demands on them is just because I want to see them do stuff that they don't feel that they're capable of doing and there's nothing greater than seeing a kid struggle 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 and then all of a sudden they get it done and they just you just see a sense of relief but the hardest thing I tell them is you can't do something for me one time 100% right and then not do it like that every single time after. And that's what, you know, from, you know, just from reading books and, 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 and seeing some of, I can't call them my mentors, but just people that I look up to in, in the college profession, you know, like Gino Ariema, Pat Summit, you know, Muffin McGraw, stuff, people like that, that, uh, you know, that hold their kids to a higher standard. And, you know, I just try to do that in my own type of way. I'm not saying I'm comparable to them because I'm not even in their stratosphere, but I just like to do take little things from them and, and then be able to share that with a lot of the kids. And as you said, be as honest as I can with them because 
honesty, I think, produces the best, you know, situation for them. And the reality stick is real. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you exactly, I'm going to tell you what you don't want to hear, but what you need to know to get yourself better. Mm -hmm. And how you take that, that's on you. Yeah. I I think that's a skill, stabbing people in the front. Some people, they're even afraid to stab people in the back because they know they're going to have a conversation Mm -hmm. in the long run. I'd rather just get the inevitable out there and say, like, this is what it is. Yeah. If you're not with that, then... I've had kids, and I know, as you said, Jalen and even Grace, you know, Jalen's actually coaching here with us here at Premier now. Um, Grace is helping out. Her younger sister is here now. Um, and, like, those are just two of my favorites that I've been able to coach over the, mm-hmm. over a couple of years and stuff like that because they may not have understood or liked it while right. they were going through it, but now that they've been through it and now they have their own personal experiences, they understand the why. And that's the biggest thing in coaching. Mm-hmm. If you could get somebody to understand why and how they're doing or how they how to do something and then the why and then the little details of the why it opens up so many doors for people did you call grace grandma yesterday i heard grandma was, <laughs> it, was that grace yes 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 because <laughs> grace is the grandma of the, of the group and we have like our open runs you know grace if i told grace there was an open run in alaska tomorrow at six o'clock she's she'd, there she'd find some way to get there she just loves to play yeah. um and I know that she has her 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 sights set on playing possibly overseas, right. and there was nowhere for her to play. So I said, "Why don't you just come down and play with us in the open room with some of the better high school girls that are in and around? You know, just to get a little run, just to say that you're on the court." And you know, she did. And hey, she's she's the old lady out there. Yeah, she play, she was playing <laughs> yesterday like Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman combined. The way she was, I was like, "Who's? That? Oh, it was Grace. That's that's why. That's the yeah. reason why." And yeah. that. Tenacity goes a long way, but you have a, a, a sense of tenacity and everything you do, you're very you know, calculated, I think, but you obviously had a passion for sports and that must have latched on early on. And having said that, where did you grow up? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school, high school and college? Well, I'm a, you know, they always say that the, there's no athletes that come out of Long Island <laughs> for the most part. Uh, I'm born and bred right here in Long Island, born in Smithtown, raised in Quorum, uh, I'm a Long Islander. I'm a suburb kid. You know, both my parents are from the city. So, you know, I get I guess I get a little bit of their, their city edge from them a little bit. But I'm a suburb guy. Um, grew up, right as I said, out here in Corm. Went to Longwood High School. You know, I, I'm a football guy. I'm the black sheep of the family, so to speak, because the entire family played basketball. My uncles and yeah, obviously my dad. And everything. So, you know, I was the black sheep. It's like everybody's playing basketball. Why are you playing football? I was like, yo, I'm good at it. Mm. (laughs) You know, so, I mean, you know, I went on and played, as I said, at at, at Longwood High School. Went on and played at Maryland for four years. Um, But ultimately, I I came back to basketball. When I was coming back home, my dad was, you know, the coach down at uh, Port Jefferson High School. He was boys coach, girls coach. He was off and on both with uh, with both genders. And um, he was asking me, yo, do you want to help? I was like, yeah, you know, I'll help out. And then I started being around the basketball more. And then some of the girls down there, Taylor Burner, Danielle Spiliotis, they were like, oh, we want to play travel ball. My dad was like, well, I'm too old. I ain't doing that. So go talk to him about it. And then getting back off what we talk about with the Silver Bullets, I reached out to a couple programs, bought a couple of the girls, and now I'm in the black hole of girls basketball and I can't get out. That's amazing. You went from <laughs> you went from being playing Turpin football to girls basketball in Long Island. But I want to go back to – your time at College Park. So first time I ever had Chipotle was at College Park. First time I ever had Potbellies was at College Park. Just talk okay. about your experience over there because, yo, I'm not going to lie, I went to a, I probably watched one of your football games because I used to date a girl that was in the Tridel. And um, I remember some kid was wearing a blue hat at the mm. game. And they were just booing them. And, <laughs> it, it wasn't even a Duke hat. It was just blue. just blue. And they were like, what are you wearing? Well, they were like, F Duke, yeah, F Duke. And then yeah. he turned around. I was like, he's not even wearing a Duke hat. Yeah. But talk about that experience at College Park. Those are the best four years I can say I've had in my life. I mean, I think college is an experience where you get away from your parents, you get away from your 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 comfort levels of high school, and you you grow up. And I've had so many situations, good and bad, that have happened to me while I was there in College Park, and I think it shaped me to be, you know, the person that I am today. You know, good and bad. Um, 
more so bad in certain situations because you know like when you know my mom was always like yes you, you came back so different like what's the wrong with you i was like you know i just grew up mom you went you went to bentley's <laughs> yeah. that's what happened oh see 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 you, you're opening up a chapter i know I, too I, much that i don't know we're not, we're not <laughs> supposed to go down that road man but rj bentley's cornerstone yeah yeah down there on route one yeah we had some good times down there terp station but um you know just being down there was just it was it was i met some of my best friends down there, you know, I don't keep in touch with them as much as I should at this point. But, you know, from the football to the social aspect to the friends that I met down there, couldn't be couldn't I couldn't have done it any better. Mm. Now, transitioning to girls basketball, I think that one thing that can translate is that you played collegiate sports at a very high level, which could probably translate. But at the same time, you probably had to unlearn a lot of the things that you knew as an athlete. To, a little bit. A little to, bit. To get to girls basketball. Talk, talk about those that challenge in the beginning. Actually, the challenge started. There was a we started going to a lot of the women's basketball games because, as you know, you know, athletes help out the athletes and they hang out all the time in college. So we used to go to a lot of the women's games, and you know, we were cool with some of them. And there was one girl; her name was Tiffany. And you know, we were playing one time, just hanging out, you know, in one of like the the rec centers or something. And she crossed the hell out of me, and I was like, okay. So at this point, you know, not to say that I looked down on girls basketball, but I wasn't into girls basketball so I really wasn't into the whole how good are they this that and the other and whatnot and when she crossed the hell out of me I said oh this is a little bit different <laughs> a little bit different and I think that might be the first time that I've even admitted that she crossed me mm. <laughs> you know but um you know I started talking to her a little bit more and then I started watching the girls game a little bit differently you know I was obviously I was a basketball fan but then I started watching the skill set that a lot of the girls had and I was like well you know what obviously they're not playing above the rim like the guys so their athleticism for the most part isn't going to mask some of the deficiencies so they have to be good at pretty much everything and I started looking at it tactically that way like okay this girl can do this this girl can do this and I just started looking at it from a totally different perspective and then as you said as I got into it more I started looking at that like okay well this kid is really really athletic so if we can develop her skills to go with her athleticism now all of a sudden that kid becomes you know a potential d1 type of a kid and my evaluations of of girls in basketball changed after my senior year of of football you know Ralph Friedgen you know, I love that guy. You know, he taught me he taught me so much more about basketball just from how he did his football stuff from his packages. And, you know, he had a jumbo package. He had a speed package. So it made me evaluate how he was evaluating us as players. So now when I come into a gym and I either have a team or it's a tryout or a workout, I'm looking at I'm evaluating the different type of people that are in there. Like, okay, well, this team, all right, I want to press and run, but you know what? We're all slow. So I was like, all right, I can't do that. So I need to have a package for my past kids. I need to have a package for this kid. What about this kid? How do I get this kid better? So it just helped me develop my evaluations towards developing teams and individuals a little bit better. Mm. Well, listen, I'm on the girls' side, and I just remember just going up. There was a point in time where there was a fork in the road, and I do like boys' basketball. I mean, I still do, like, pro-am stuff, mm. and, and I like to smoke. Girls basketball, sometimes when you go back, you're like, what is this, man? Especially when it's, like, not as good as what you're used to. But when it's really good, it's really good. Now, that's what people don't understand. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I've gone into some gyms, and I'm just like, why the hell did I come in here? <laughs> like, what the hell is this? Right. But when you actually see girls that can actually play play, you're like, oh, okay, now I see. And it gives you a different perspective. Right. Now, I wanted to ask you, did you have a fork in a row where you were like, you know what, maybe I want to try – the boy side of thing, the men side of thing. Nope. Never, huh? Nope. Well, how come? Nope. Because me being a hard-headed young man at one time, I see the other hard-headed young men. And, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I don't know if I can break that barrier because I think guys look at the NBA and they everybody wants to be – everybody wants to shoot like Steph Curry. Everybody wants to be LeBron James. Everybody wants to dribble like James Harden and things like that, which is fine. You know, you have your dreams and your aspirations, but think about how many shots Steph Curry missed – to become the greatest shooter possibly in NBA history. Are you willing to miss that many shots to perfect your craft? Forget the shots that he makes, the misses. And the guys that think that they can shoot like that and that they're better than what they are, I just shake my head at. And it's, and it's hard to break that barrier down in, in, in a lot of these guys' heads. And it's like, all right, all right, oh, you want to be like LeBron James? All right, well, are you 6'8", 270 pounds and, and, and an athletic freak? No, you're 5'10", 175 pounds. Like, what are you doing? 
So it's it's hard to just rationalize with some of these guys. Now, on the flip side of it, don't get me wrong, there are some guys out there that are putting in that work that are aspiring to be at that next level. And those are the ones that you see that are the high school, you know, top 15, 20 in the country and stuff like that. So, you know, I take nothing away from boys basketball. I personally just have zero interest in it. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Now, um, with that whole football piece and then now you coaching on the girls' side, um, you think that your passion of coaching has superseded you of any of your exploits playing? There's nothing like playing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I don't care. Everybody says, oh, no, I'm coaching now, and I'm doing this now, and I'm still close to the game. There is nothing like, in my sense, in my sense, putting on some pads and, and going out there and hitting and getting hit and, you know, the trash talking. There's nothing like actually playing the game because when you're playing the game, you have complete control over what you can and can't do and possible outcomes. As a coach, you just have to put people in places to hopefully be successful but ultimately, you really can't, you know, have a have a say so for the most part in the outcome of the game. You just yeah, you have to instill your into your players and give them the passion and the desire to go out there and get the win. But you personally can't do it, and there's no feeling I think that can ever, you know, you know, replace that. But you've accepted that you're not going back on the football field. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> oh hell yeah! I think I mean after you know college and stuff like that. I played a little you know arena football and I went overseas. I mean to uh, like Hawaii to play arena and then I played like some semi pro, you know like you know ten years ago and stuff like that. And then some of these guys were acting like this was you know the Super Bowl. I was like, hey, not for nothing, man. I got to get up tomorrow and go to work. So you know what? I don't want to be limping around. So I was like, you know what? All right, after this last season, I think I'm going to hang up the cleats and put the helmet on the wall and, you know, pack it in and call it a day. And and, and that's what I did. I mean, I wish I could still go out there. And, and I think, and I guess this is in all athletes' back of their mind. They always say, hey, you know what? Give me about three or four months. If I get in some shape, yeah, I could go out there. Nah. From working here at Sousa, I watch these guys come in here and play, and I watch two or three of them walk out of here limping, get a twisted <laughs> an ankle or something like yep. that, and I'm not about that right now. I know. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, come on, you still got it? I'm like, I don't got nothing. I don't got nothing mentally to to give to this game anymore. No, I still got it now. Don't get me wrong. I didn't See, I, that, that's an entirely different conversation now. With your college, uh, I'm sorry, not, with your coaching, um, do you remember your first game, what that was like when you coached? As the head coach? Like, yeah. AAU or high school? Both. Okay, well, Debbie Bradjevich and Leon set me up for my first game. And I, here I am, we're in practice. I'm thinking, yo, I got a nice little team. You know, we're all right, oh, we're all right. First tournament we go to, we play the New Jersey Shore Shots. Now, I'm a novice. I know nothing about who's what, what, who's done what. I don't know how long these girls have playing or this team's been together. I don't know anything. So little, little I know, I found this out after the game, we're playing the defending AAU national champs. First game out of the break. So, during the game, I'm like, okay, all right, oh, we're going to set up in our diamond in one press. We've been doing it in practice. We look so good. The score was 73-11 to 11 at halftime. And how, how do you coach after that? After This is your first game. <laughs> your first game. So, here I am like a freaking lunatic, and we're getting our behinds kicked by the defending national champs. And that was a very humbling experience, thinking like, all right, I need to take a step back and start doing my research, you know, part of part of the game. Uh, my first high school game that I coached officially as the head coach, uh, we lost 48-44 to Walt Whitman. And I still have that picture on my phone because, you know, that was just like, you know, that's my first high school game. And, you know, me being the competitor that I am, I'm like, okay, that's the first game. I'm going to put that in the back of my mind. I'll, I'll, I'll get them back. But just the feeling of being in control and being a head coach and calling the shots and, 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 and in high school just establishing a program and how I wanted it to be done, that was a very, very gratifying situation for me. Like, okay, all right, this, I'm going to take this group. Now what? This is what I'm going to do for the middle school. This is what I'm going to do for the community. This is what I'm going to do here, there, and everything. And, and it was just very fulfilling to have that that pressure of, of of being somebody that everybody's gonna look to to lead them. And, and I, I think any true competitor or athlete wants that at some point in time, and I was lucky enough to have it. So you remind me of me in the regard of, so I've been coaching at Kellenberg for so long, and you know even to the point when you know, Leon was still there. Mm-hmm. That was years ago. 
So you probably didn't even know he was there. I know, I know he was there, yeah. but that was about like 20-something years yeah, ago. Yeah, so now yeah. you're showing your own age. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> the thing is like, I'm so used to being, I'm by myself, I'm the only male, and it's all a bunch of girls. And it's like, you know, you you, le- you really learn how they think, you learn how they act, and it's it's interesting. And also, they stay the same age, and we get older, right? And yeah. sure, their habits are different, but what did you, uh, what are the challenges of, of uh, coaching girls? From your uh, perspective. Well, the first thing my father told me, because, you know, him being another male that was coaching females was, one, you just have to be aware that they are young girls, you know, and, and I'm always conscious of how the third person from the outside looks with me demonstrating or being around them and things like that because, hey, one, I love all of my girls, but none of them are worth five to ten years of my life and me going to prison for. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, from from that standpoint, you know, I'm always conscious of how I am around them. I am very affectionate towards my players, though. I, I love all my girls. You know, I, I'll hug them. You know, you know, I'll dap them up and stuff like that. And, and I get very attached to them. And I think sometimes people don't understand I'm not getting attached to them in a crazy type of a way. I'm being attached to them because I want to get to know them, and that's how I can connect with them to help better their life. Like, okay, if I know stuff about you, I can now talk to you a little differently. I can put you in different situations that's going to make you, you know, understand where I'm coming from in my direction. But dealing with girls is very – girls can be very catty. You know, I think – I could take five guys and we could put them on a basketball court and they may not like each other, but you know what? They're going to function, fight, and then ultimately they want to win. If girls don't genuinely like each other, it gets very catty and they'll look each other off and then there's attitudes. And then at, at that point, if you don't nip it in the ass at that point, it's something that's going to, you know, be detrimental to the team later down the road. Mm-hmm. So I've always learned to try to keep everybody – on the same playing field and keep everybody the same. Treat everybody differently, but nobody's bigger than the program. So everybody gets treated fairly, but at the same time, people are going to make sure that, that, all right, we genuinely have to understand that we are different, but you know what? We have a common goal. Yeah. Listen, I can relate to that being affectionate to them. I mean, you go through traumatic experiences with them. Like yeah. if, you, if I have an all-day tournament with them for 12 hours and we yeah. win – Oh, yeah. And we go through those highs and lows. Oh, I mean, yeah. like, of course you're gonna be. Oh yeah, oh, you're gonna yeah. care about definitely. Them. And 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 I, I keep in mind too. These are still young girls that are going through, you know, their mental changes, their physical changes, and you know, getting getting a, a freshman at 14 years old. I talk to her a lot differently when she's a 18 year old senior. You know, so it's it's a growing up process that I'm I'm learning with them. And, and how to conduct myself around them and, 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 and those little things like that. It's very important to understand how to be able to differentiate the, the, the yearly changes that those kids go through. When you have a prospective kid and you, the parents come to you and, and you, you, know, you mentioned that you're not for everyone, what can they expect out of Mark Riley um, if they're trying to get trained, if they're trying to get coached? Oh, as I said before, I'm going to tell you what you don't want to hear, but what I think you need to know to get yourself to where you ultimately said that you want to be. Um, I always ask the kids who come play for me, I say, what's the, uh, the first question I always ask them is, if I have a letter of intent in my bag and you could go to any school in the country, D1, D2, D3, where would you go? And I'll never be a dream killer because, you know, first school, people come to mind, well, I want to go to UConn. Like, okay, if you say you want to go to UConn, all right, two things with that. One, do you know what a UConn player looks like? Do you know the dedication it's going to take for you and the sacrifices and the discipline that's going to take for you to get to that level? If you're willing to get try to put yourself and get to that level, then okay, then here's the plan. Let's lay it out. And if you stick to this, we'll see where you end up. You know, I've had one player that, that was like that who didn't even believe that she could get there at that point, and that was Stephanie Dolson. You know, I mean, at six foot four, six foot five, I don't think she really, really started to understand that she could get to that level till like probably like her junior year in high school. And, you know, we were telling, like, yo, you're great, you're great. So she was still, I don't want to say self-conscious about it, but I think she was still had her doubts. And once she actually got there, it was like, wow. And then she's ultimately, you know, on WNBA doing all, all her pro stuff overseas and stuff, so I'm proud of her with that. So, you know, I do know when, when people have that passion and that desire, you see it. You know, that, that word it, you know, you don't know what it is until you see it. I see that in a lot of kids, 
and sometimes they get misguided because people try to hype them up like they that they are better than this or that, or basically they just don't they just don't keep it real with them and tell them like, hey, you know what? All right, guess what? You 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 can't go to that party on Friday night because you know what? We got a six a.m. workout on Saturday, so you need to go home. Well, I want to go hang out with my friends. Well, okay. Every day that you don't do something to get yourself better, there are ten thousand girls that are trying to get the same thing as you. So you now are now ten, well, one step behind ten thousand other people. So I mean, it, it, it's real hard if you wanna if you wanna achieve certain goals, sacrifice and discipline, mm. consistency. Mm. That's the only way I can say it. So there has been like a partition, and I don't know when it happened, but. There's there's a big difference between a trainer and a coach. When did, when do you think that schism started? And would you consider yourself a trainer as well? I'm a coach. I think every coach has a trainer inside of them. Now there's different levels of being a trainer. When you look at like, um, you know, like Jerry Powell. You know, I've known Jerry for 15 years. He is a trainer. Period. There's nothing. I, I know he's had some teams that he's coached and stuff like that. But you know, he is a trainer. There's a different level of intensity and attention to details that you have to be able to do specifically as just a trainer. I think me being a coach, there are things that I'm going to train you to do, but in a game-like setting type of situation. Like I'm going to set up, all right, when we come off of this pick and roll over here and you have to get to this point on the court, here are your options. This is what you need to look for, this, that, and the other. So it's more tactical in terms of the IQ of – of building the IQ and of the basketball game itself compared to a trainer who's really just drilling your skills and getting your skills better so that when you take your skills and you put it in a game-like setting, now your skills are on point so that, so that the coach can put you in those situations to, to, to navigate you through all of that. So I think there's a big difference. It's a fine line, but it's a big difference. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Some people can do both at a high level, but I think it's really hard. It's like being the GM and a coach. It's like it's it's impossible yeah. to do it really great at a great high level mm-hmm. if you are completely distracted. And that's probably why I don't coach basketball, and that's probably why I don't ref volleyball. But, of course, <laughs> this is the rant, and i got to ask you some tough questions. Bring um, it on, bring it on, bring it on. So this whole time, just playing football from back in the day, playing in college, uh, coaching, this whole time, what has your perception been of referees this whole time? Referees? Well, see, now it, that, that, there's, a, there's a fine line between that as well because I am now a certified ref. I oh took boy. the test a year and a half ago. 127? I, I don't know about the 127. I don't know. Not, I know I took it with, with, with Kamal. <laughs> the girl's side. Got on, you. On the girl's side. Okay. Yes, on the girl's side. And, and I look at it a little differently, and I, and I think about this, this as a perspective. As a player, if I came to you as a ref and, and, and I said – and pardon my French. What the fuck, ref? That wasn't no foul. Come on, man. Compared to me, suit and tie, as a coach standing on the sideline, and I come to the ref and I say, come on, ref, what the fuck? That's not a foul. I think the perspective of how the ref interprets that is a big difference. You know, they may let it slide a little bit with the player, they laugh it off, but with the coach, instant tech. Mm-hmm. So my perspective on how I treat refs, now there are... There's high school refs and then there's AAU refs. There's there's a ref out there. I'm not going to say his name. I got a technical foul in a high school game because he said I was intimidating with my stare. (laughs) I said, well, all right, I'm intimidating you with my stare. Like, okay, just put the ball in play and I don't have to stare at you anymore. Tech. Damn. So I was like, all right, man, I'll take that. So there are times that, you know, that I've earned my technicals. There are some refs out there that that you can kind of – have some fun with and joke around with a little bit. And then there's some refs when you see them walk into the gym, you're like, all right. Yeah, can't. I, right, this is going to be, let me just worry about my kids because if I say, if I say, hey, how are you doing? He's going to automatically think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm giving them bad mouth. Like, like, come on, man. So there's just, it's just, it's just a, a, a relationship that you have to understand who's refing. You know, I, I normally say a couple little things out there just to kind of, all right, what type of ref is this? Like, mm. all right, did he joke around back with me? Okay, I got a little bit more leeway. Or is he going to be, enough coach, that's it. Like, all right, now I know. Mm. But, um, I mean, I have no disrespect towards any referee because I think it's a, a tough situation because yes. you're, you're wrong 100% of the time because mm-hmm. if you call it against me, you're wrong. If you call it for me, you're wrong because the other coach is going to be mad at right. you. So, you know, but, I mean, I, I have no, no problems with any referee. What made you take the class and what was that experience like where you – 
kind of like jarred by like what the rules were in comparison to what you knew? The black and whites of the rules are completely different of what you actually think that they are. Right. The, the little things. Yeah. And you're like, well, how is that a foul? I never thought that that was a foul. Um, the terminology, you know, player A passes to player B and blah, blah. I'm like, and then where the refs have to stand and what they're actually responsible for. I, I used to get mad at certain refs like, how do you make that call? You're not even in position to do that. Having now taken the class, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess <laughs> you, you, you did see that. That's what that because that's where you were looking. That was your your in, in, term, in, in ref terminology. That was your primary, you know. So. This guy <laughs> sounds so proud. <laughs> so so, you know, it has helped me in terms of understanding how to. I don't want to say this in a bad way, but how to cheat. Yeah, know? no, Cause, I, cause, yeah, cause, that's cause, true to cause, that. Because the refs are looking at this, so you know what? When you're over here. They're not. They they shouldn't be looking over here. So you know what? You might be able to grab a jersey here or or push off a little bit over here. You know, just to gain that little bit of an edge. You know, but I think it's helped me overall understand. You know how to coach a little bit better and and things like that. But just having a better understanding of how to teach my kids how to get away with certain things while still not breaking the rules. Is that why you took the class? No, 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 no. Like you really as, wanted to rest. As as crazy as it is, I mean. Not to say that I wanted to use it as a side hustle, right. but ultimately now being 40, you know, I, I do want to use it as a side hustle, but I also want to see how far I can go with it, you know, from, hey, I would maybe one day I might coach a, a ref a D3 game or, or something like that and then see where I can build from there. But, you know, as of right now, you know, I just like having it on my back pocket just as something to fall back on just in case. So how are you going to work that out if you if you want to ref a D three game? Doesn't that eat up your uh, your coaching? How does that how does that square with you? Uh, I haven't thought about that okay. too much right okay. now. Okay, that's know, cool. Uh, I'm still in my coaching phase, so as of right now, I'm going to put that off on hold. You know, probably do my little junior high stuff and you know work my way up through the ranks. And as that kind of develops, and if I get good enough, then you know what that door opens up, and then I'll see when I walk through it. Yeah. If you could officiate any other sport, what would it be? Uh, football. Yeah? E- even though it's outside and you're not playing? Mm. Never thought of it that way, have you? No. <laughs> but no, nah, see, I, I'd wear my long johns and my turtlenecks and my glove. I'd be good. All right. I ref outside. It's not, it, it is fun, though, I, I will say. And, you know, back to what you were saying with, um, with the coaching and the refing thing, that's why, I ne- that's why I don't ref volleyball. I can't. I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. I want to take this time to give you the opportunity to shout out any of mentors that have helped you, who they are, what they've done for your career, and how do you think they've shaped the way you've helped people after you? Uh, well, obviously, you know, I'll always push my father first. You know, he's, hey, he's my dad. But, you know, as far as the basketball world and stuff, you know, obviously Debbie Bradjevich, Lucia Vetta, Leon Martin. Uh, whew, those are the, the, the handful of people that really – help mold me in terms of this basketball thing and whatnot. Um, you know, and, and to help me as a, as a young man into my now adulthood and whatnot. So, I mean, you know, those 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 are the four people basketball-wise that have kind of pushed me in that direction. Now, how about, so I think about somebody like Jalen, right? She's trying to get to be a coach, and, and she's starting young. And I know what that's like to just be too young and you feel like you don't have it in you. And it's like you kind of just need passage of time to just – get to the point where you feel believable, even though she is believable, mm-hmm. what kind of advice do you give people that are trying to break into this coaching stuff? Mm, that's, uh, you know, everybody's different, but have your own philosophies and beliefs of, of how you want things done when it's your time to, you know, be the head of a situation or, or a university, college, high school, whatever it may be, you know, and, and stand by those. You know, some people tend to tend to be fake just so that they can kind of get in a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, just be true to your beliefs, you know, your philosophies on how you see the game, but also be willing and open to open yourself up to new ideas to help develop your own individual self. And then ultimately, you know, you know, get in where you fit in so that you can, you know, achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve eventually. So I know you did mention Jalen and Grace. Those are two some of your favorite players that you've had. you have any other memorable players that you have a deep <laughs> affinity for? Uh I've been coaching for so long, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to shout out anybody and then leave people out because it's my. I've been coaching for a long time, and everybody's has their own special place for me in my heart. 
you know, obviously there are some that are a little bit more closer to me because they're really just around me more. Um, so, like I said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anybody per se and whatnot, but I'll, I'll reach out to them. Now that you just bring that up, I'm gonna start reaching out to a couple of them so that I can, you know, continue to share that love with them. Yeah, that's see, that's that's a good politically correct answer <laughs> because you know that you're gonna get in trouble yes, if you I don't would. if you yes, don't miss I anyone. Would. And and I, I feel the same way. Too many too many years, too many kids. Yeah. It's, it's just too really tough to different situations and whatnot. Yeah, so. After everything you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as a coach? A relentless attitude to be the best. That's the the competitor in me. You know, I I mean, I joke with some of the kids, like even when we had like camps and clinics here, like when I beat the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh graders in knockout, like I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm better than you guys. I beat all you guys and whatnot. So just just the 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 I just love the fact that I'm that I'm so competitive and. That's the attitude that I have in every type of situation. You know, I'm very vindictive when it comes to my thought patterns, mm-hmm. just in terms of my competitiveness. Like, if you beat me, I, I, I it's a, it's a sour place in my in my stomach, and I want to be able to have the opportunity to, to, to get back, and 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 reestablish, you know, my dominance and things like that. So, I think that 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 attitude that I've had since I've been playing sports has helped me as a coach because I want to prepare my kids. And I tell, I tell them this all the time too. I want, I want players that hate to lose rather than want to win. And if they can understand that fine line between that statement, their game can go to a whole nother level. Because mm. when you hate to lose so bad that it's like, it's sickening to you. That means you're willing to do anything possible on the court so that you don't have that feeling, you know? So when you don't dive on the ball, when you don't box out, when you don't hustle, when you don't focus, that's showing me that you really don't mind losing. Like, no, I want you to do those things to the, to the best of your ability every single time so that that feeling of losing, you will never have to feel. What do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go as a coach? As a coach, you know, I would love to, you know, be the head coach of a, of a, of a high school and, and, and be there for 15, 20 years and, and establish a culture there of winning and, and the various philosophies that I have. Um, ultimately, if I could become a, a, a D2 or D3 head coach at, at, at a neighboring, you know, school, I would love that opportunity as well. Um, but for right now, I'm, I'm good where I am. You know, I want to, you know, help, in this case, the premier brand grow and be as big as it can be and, and get all of the, the local talent here on Long Island to, 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 to become a part of it. And, and, you know, and establish ourselves as a as a dominant program here on Long Island, where everybody can come and play and and and, and get all the accolades and 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 scholarships or whatever it is that you want to put out there. Um, so hopefully, just right now, I just want to you know build this premier brand. Yeah, and you're and you're well on your way to doing that. Um, I think a lot of your players would be interested to hear this. What is the most stickiest situation that you've ever had as a football player, and also what is the most stickiest situation that you've ever had as a coach so far? Well, as a coach, you know, there's a fine line between parents and players. I mean, uh, well, coaches and parents, I should say. And, you know, I've gotten into a couple of situations with some parents, you know, because everybody's your friend until you tell them no or you do something that they don't agree with. And the confrontations that I've had with parents, you know, just trying to make them understand that I'm doing what I feel is best for your kid. You may not understand it or you may not like the process of what I'm trying to do, but ultimately, my heart is genuine towards your kid trying to get better. And sometimes when you tell parents that, they don't want to hear it. So they either, you know, do what parents do and either leave or if there's a confrontation and then they leave. But, um, you know, there's nothing specific that I can say, like, this parent did this or anything like that. Um, as a player, I mean, there's a lot that goes down. As a as as a football player, there's a lot that goes down underneath that underneath that pile, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, but you know, just just you know, there's there's nothing specific that can, I can say that was anything bad or or anything like that 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 uh that that has you know made me think ill towards any particular person or anything like that. Um, if you can, um, what is the most? What would you say is the best moment that you've had as a football player, and what is your best moment as a coach so far? All right, well. Growing up, I think uh, my middle school football was probably the biggest year that I had in terms of growth. As a as a as a seventh grader, for lack of a better term, I was a I was I was an ass. 
You know, my coaches knew it. I was very cocky and arrogant and nothing that anybody told me. I didn't want to hear anything. And and one of the coaches at that time, Coach Mishu, you know, he was just like, you're never going to make it because your attitude is so bad. You're talented, but it's so bad. But over that next year, my eighth grade year was was very, very good, and I felt like I grew up a little bit. And then my freshman year, my that same coach, Coach Mishu, told me, he was like, yo, because I, I was the now the quarterback of the JV team. I was the only ninth grader up on a team, and I was the the head of the snake, and everybody looked at me. And the, that, that that year, I think I just matured. He was like, hey, you're completely different than I knew, and you're 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 on your way to making it. And that that touched me in a way that was like, wow. And it just made me feel better as a person. So I kind I kind of went in that route with that. Um, high school wise, you know, being the first junior to win the Hanson Award, that was a, a, a crowning achievement. You know, just the, the accolades that came with that, and that propelled me into the, the college. And then my senior year of actually starting a college football game, winning the ACC championship, uh, playing in the Orange Bowl, scoring two touchdowns, that was like, wow! Like this is what it feels like to be, you know, like an elite level athlete and stuff like that. It was just a very gratifying situation and something that I'll never, ever forget. Damn. That sounds great. Um, <laughs> what about coaching? Coaching? Uh, I don't know. I got, I got to think on that one a little bit. Cause it just does not, I can't really think of anything specific. Well, I just, I think for you, if I, if, and tell me if I'm wrong, I think it's just the, just being in the gym and, and just being around and just doing it. You just love, like, that's how I feel about reffing. Like, the sure, parents, guess- the parents always tell me, like, "You look so tired, my coach. You look so tired." Like I'm up watching film, I'm watching games, I'm watching everything, and and I generally am tired. But the gym gives me energy. When the kids come in, it's like, "I, right, my girls is here now." Boom, and it's just like an instant surge of energy. So, I guess the feeling, as you just said, the feeling of just being in the gym all the time, the energy that I get from the girls, you know, the little laughs and strokes that I have with some of the parents from time to time. Just being in this gym atmosphere just makes me feel like, yo, I got all the energy in the world. Don't worry. Yeah, I I only got two hours of sleep last night, but you know what? It's okay because I'm still going to give you my all. So, you know, it's just just that feeling of just the energy and the surge of just being in the gym. It's a great feeling. So sports, and in particular basketball, just you coaching, it's it's given you so much. It's made you travel across the country. You've met so many people. You've impacted so many people's lives. You brought them to the next level of whatever they wanted to do. What does basketball mean to you? What has it given to you in your life? What, what that saying, you know, basketball is life. Ball is life. You know, I mean, teaching life lessons through the, through the through the sports world. You know, that's what it's all about, taking what you've learned here and applying it to your day-to-day, everyday life. Yeah, man, and... Listen, man, I thank you. Um, I, I really think you have a remarkable story. Just the fact that for, I, I don't do you any of your girls know that you played at Maryland? I know they, they know you wear all the shorts and all that, but <laughs> it's funny. Like you know, we talked about Mike and stuff like that. He was like, "Yo, I, I never knew that you played football in Maryland." Blah blah blah. Because I'm I I don't. This isn't about me anymore. Yeah yeah yeah. So I don't go out there saying, "Well, I'm Coach Mark." And you, you don't want to be Uncle played, Rico either. Nah nah. Nah heck no. I don't want to be that either. But you know, I don't go up to people and be like, "Hey, you know what? I'm Mark Riley. You know, I played at University of Maryland football and blah 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 blah." Yeah, come play. Like, no, this isn't about me. This is just some guy that's in the gym that's passionate about sports. Come on in and let's have a good time. Mm. And if they find that stuff out, all right, they, they and they ask me, yeah, by all means, I'll be like, yeah, I played there. Yeah. Years yeah. and years and years ago. <laughs> <laughs> man, keep that energy, man. I thank you. I appreciate it, man. For Premier Basketball, Mark Riley. This is Ralph the Ref. This is the rant. We are signing out. Peace.